0: Welcome to the show, I'm so glad you're here. I'm Braxton Hunter, and this is Trinity Radio. And today we're going to be taking a look at a video that, I don't know how I missed it, but it was on Mr. Atheist's channel a couple of years ago, a year and a half ago, where he got seven YouTubers together, atheist YouTubers, to provide you with a list of seven signs that you might soon be an atheist. Am I going to be an atheist soon? Let's find out. So let's jump right into this list, and let's hear what this crew has to say. Seven
1: signs you'll be an atheist one day. Number one, you avoid those God questions that bother you. If you find that you avoid questions about God because they make you feel uncomfortable, questions like, how can a God exist who's loving while at the same time there's so many terrible things happening in the world? Or how come nobody's, well, it feels like nobody's listening to me when I pray? Or so many other things that butt up against your own notion of God that... You'd rather just not hear it or stay away from it altogether because it just doesn't feel good. Well, you may become an atheist soon.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's actually true. Uh, Not necessarily that you might become an atheist soon, but that that's a problem. The last thing we want as people in the church is for people to bottle up their doubts and concerns and ignore them. Your doubts aren't necessarily going to go away. And in fact, they could become more fierce and more aggressive in your life. And then when you experience times of pain or someone in the church wrongs you, you can react and and do things with those doubts that you shouldn't do, namely to cave to them too easily or begin to cherry pick evidence that would count against the faith because at the moment you're upset with God or you're upset with the community of faith or something like that. Um, We've done videos on this in the past, but one thing that we found that the journal data actually confirms is that the people that remain in their faith, are people who have in cool moments, like right now if you're not going through an existential crisis, developed uh, networks and support groups within the church with people who are strong believers and some of whom who have answers and are aware of the resources like this channel and other channels like this and books and things that can help you when you have questions. It's not that we think you should ignore what the other side has to say. In fact, it's quite the opposite. We want you to hear both sides before you make any rash decisions. So we don't want you to bottle up those doubts. We want you to connect with other believers in the faith, look at what the best in Christian resources have to offer, and then hear what the best in skeptic, uh, uh, skeptical answers and criticisms are. And, and then you can, you can uh, explore those and discuss those together in the community of faith. When people do that, according to the journal data, what we find is that the vast majority of those people remain in the faith, and they actually, actually experience a broadening and, and strengthening and deepening of their faith. Whereas if they get hurt or something in the church, or they experience serious doubt, and they don't have that connected group, a, a larger percentage tend to slip away. And it's not hard to see why. Uh, they go looking for answers on the internet, which is one of the first places you're going to go, right? Is YouTube. I mean, you're here after all, and not everyone on YouTube is a, a, a qualified source. It's not necessarily a, a uh, valid sources sources giving you the best information and but there is a lot of mockery there's a lot of rhetoric and that can be that can move people and especially again if you're in a position where you're perhaps mad at God or you've experienced some hurt in the church or perhaps there's some um, issue of sin that you would like to engage in you don't like the idea that God's looking over your shoulder in a particular moment in your life now that's not everybody but that is some people but whatever the issue is that may be provoking those doubts um, it can it can open up a situation where there is a little bit of bias there. We're all biased in some way. And what we want to do is try to minimize those biases instead of exacerbate them. And so what I would encourage you to do, if you are a person who is experiencing doubt and you're currently in the church, is to develop that support group, get into a small group or a Sunday school class, or just develop some friendships in the church. If you're someone who is not in church right now, but you do uh, consider yourself to be a Christian, but you don't have those kind of relationships, or maybe you do have Christian friends, but they're not the most grounded, the most strong. The most firm in their faith, I would encourage you to connect with them, and then you begin to explore these things together. But face those doubts now. I've been examining Christian or, or atheist um, videos for over a year now, and what I've seen time and time again is that the atheist, in giving their testimony, will say they did exactly what we see here in this clip. They ignored their doubts; they didn't want to think about it because it was uncomfortable or whatever. And then when they finally went looking, they didn't have the best in Christian answers available, and um, and and that's a big problem. So I actually agree uh, to the extent that this can be a problem what eric murphy discusses but of course uh, that doesn't count in favor of atheism what it means is you should face those doubts head on so now let's continue with the list and see what else they have you listen no like
2: really you listen you actually listen to your opponent when they speak one of the signs of dogmatic thinking is affirmation seeking When engaging in dialogue, instead of being interested in and considering the position that's being presented, instead you're looking for holes, for opportunities to assert your perspective and refute the opposition. Once you become more open to the possibility that your position is as fallible as you are, the perspective can shift. Instead of wanting an opportunity to present your case and reinforce your existing perspective, you become more interested in challenging it. Instead of just affirmation, you seek the opportunity to scrutinize and criticize your beliefs. When this paradigm shift takes place, an interlocutor is no longer perceived as an opponent. Instead, they are a means by which to be exposed to an opposing perspective, to challenge yourself and ensure your positions are sound and reasonable and justified. This can begin a the perspective of the opposing side. When this happens, more often than not, you start to honestly admit to yourself that it's reasonable and it makes sense. This may not always lead to deconversion itself, but it tears down some important walls. Instead of being closed, you're opened. And that means that you have to ask yourself some really hard questions.
0: Number three. Okay. So can that happen? Yeah, that can happen. And we should be listening. We should be listening to hear carefully what the other side has to say. That should be true in any situation. Nevertheless, uh, one thing that there's a little bit of a nuanced difference between I think the way that Shannon Q thinks about this and the way I think about this, or at least the way uh, and and between the way that Shannon Q thinks about this and a lot of other even atheist uh, YouTubers, and that is. Um, she, when I was on her show, and we discussed these things, she said, look, the whole idea, I don't have a channel because I'm trying to get people to believe or get people to think that what I'm saying is right and agree with me. I, I'm just trying to explore these ideas and kind of debate these with other people and, and see what they think. And, and if I've got flaws, I want to find out where those flaws are. Okay. Fair enough. However, um, I, I think this is true of her. Uh, and, and if I've mischaracterized you, Shannon, I'm sorry, I, I don't mean to do that. If it happens, it's merely because, uh, uh, I'm a fallible human, right? (laughs) Um, But uh, I think the fact of the matter is what we should be doing is we should be looking for opportunities to uh, examine what we believe, yes, look for holes in our own beliefs, yes, as well as look for holes in the other person's perspective. And we should be looking for the truth together. But here's the difference. I do, and I told her this when I was on her show, I actually do believe that I'm right about this. And you know what? On some level, everyone who is... Uh, talking about these things thinks that they're right to some degree Shannon thinks she's right about what she just said about the way to approach these things so we're all propagating ideas that we think represent the truth the, the position that people should hold to so uh, especially when you uh, ratchet up the stakes so high w- you know would, would we really cons- uh, talk about it this way when it comes to something like white supremacy I, I don't think so um, sure we want to we might want to you know as a novelty hear what the other party has to say that that's fine but we're pretty sure we're Right about this, and, and we know that there's serious danger in, um, in in opening ourselves too much up to the influences of the other side. In a similar way, we think that there's actually heaven and hell to pay on this issue if we're Christians, and so we want to understand the stakes of this. We're not talking about um, you know our, our favorite sports team or something or our favorite television show. These issues could not be more serious. Um, whether you think that Christianity is true or not, these issues could not be more serious. And of course, the atheist will agree, uh, at least to a large degree, because they want to say something like that, hey, these Christians and believing the certain things they do has has impacts on uh, voting and, and who gets into public office and, and environmentalism and all these kind of things. So we all think these things are very, very important. So we need to bring that to bear, um, whether it was talking about racial issues or gender issues or or, or uh, smoking cigarettes. We need to understand when the stakes are so high, it, we need to be very very cautious about uh, where we open ourselves up too much to influences. That said, we should hear what the other side has to say. And as Christians, we can be satisfied in knowing that, um, we, we have the truth on our side. We believe that strongly. And so we believe that Christianity is going to do perfectly well in the marketplace of ideas. You want to know why it is that other religions such as Islam would rather shut down the discussions or try to de-platform people? Go check out David Wood's discussion from, I guess, about a year or so ago, right after April Fool's Day last year in 2019. And you'll see where uh, he begins to discuss the people, all all the Muslims who are trying to de-platform him and take away his voice. Christianity has no desire to do that. And the reason we don't have a desire to do that is because we think that Christianity, when it is um, correctly articulated and presented uh, in in a sound way, is going to be something that's going to stand the test of time and be perfectly fine in the marketplace of ideas. And so to that extent, um, I agree with Shannon Q that we should be opening ourselves up to what others have to say. I do not think that means you're about to become an atheist. Because of course, doesn't that kind of presuppose that atheism is true? And if you'll just but open yourself up to it, then you'll fall into it. Now, as she said, it doesn't guarantee it. But here's the thing. Perhaps if the atheists would, would follow those same principles, more of them would become Christians. Maybe they're, maybe one of the signs that you're about to become a Christian is that you're beginning to listen to the other side more clearly and, and not look for holes in their argumentation, but try to to hear them in, in their own words and really evaluate what they're trying to say. So I think that uh, that is an example of something that could go both ways um, and doesn't necessarily count in favor of atheism. You don't take your holy book literally.
3: You might slowly find yourself turning into an atheist, or at the very least a religious non, if you have a habit of not taking your holy book literally for whatever reason. Let's take the Bible for instance. If you start out from a strong position and then slowly start finding yourself backpedaling every single time you find that one of the claims in the Bible can't be justified as a literal claim, you'll find that the more times you have to throw something into the bucket of metaphor, the more bricks you're tearing down around your faith. If you think of your faith as a brick building, every single time you take part of your faith and translate it into metaphor, you are taking one of those bricks away. Eventually, you'll be left with nothing more than a foundation to build up from. And now that you've already discarded all of the old bricks and metaphors, you might not be using the same type of bricks to rebuild your house. After all, why did you get rid of them in the first place? How many pieces and parts of your faith do you have to strip away before the faith simply isn't there anymore? On that, how much of your faith is directly tied to the literature of your faith? If so much of your faith relies on that literature, and you start discarding the literature, what truly is left? You just might find that when rebuilding these walls for your metaphorical house, you might not be left with the same perspective as you had before where the walls once
0: stood. Okay, so um, with this, I heard three very interesting terms that I think we need to consider. Uh, first of all, literal. Uh, second, um, myth. And third, metaphor. And if you'll listen to that video back, I, again, Cyrus, I want to say this for everyone that I'm, that I'm responding to here. If I'm mischaracterizing you, that is not my goal. I don't intend to mischaracterize you. I'm trying to, uh, but I am trying to read between the lines of what you're saying to get at the, the the narrative here. So it seems like there's literal and then there's myth and metaphor as if those are in the same category. And they can be. It is true that some things that we may talk about and use literal language should a- are actually expressions of a myth or a metaphor or a myth and a metaphor. But those two categories of myth and metaphor aren't necessarily the same thing, and that's very important. Do you take your holy scriptures literally? This is one of the most common things that I hear on the internet. And I really want to speak clearly on this. I want people to hear me because I feel like I say this about every week and it's getting now to where it's almost every single video. And it's this, when someone says to me, do you take the scriptures literally? I have no idea what you mean. Actually, I do know what you mean. But it's a completely confused way of talking about this. I was speaking in Canada at a church uh, last year, or maybe it's been a couple of years now, and someone came up to me afterwards who was an agnostic and said to me, "Um, Braxton, okay, look, um, is the Bible a book of faith or is it a book of history? And I thought to myself, that's an odd way of putting it. Um, First of all, those are not mutually exclusive. I'm not sure what you mean by a book of faith. I think I know what you mean by a book of history. But here's the thing. It's like pointing to a random wall of uh, a bookstore or a library where there are multiple genres all on one wall, where you have poetry, biographies, narrative, history, apocalyptic literature, all kinds of things like that. And then saying, uh, is that a shelf of history or is that a shelf of poetry? We could say, okay, uh, it's, it's, it's a misguided question. Why is it a misguided question? Because there's multiple genres on that shelf. What we would have to do is go grab a particular book and perhaps even a particular passage in that book and then ask ourselves, what is this genre? And the way you do that with the Bible is the way you do that with anything. Um, if you just go into a bookstore and say, what is the, what is the genre of that book over there? How do you figure it out? Go grab the book off the shelf. And when you begin reading it, oh, guess what? This is a book of poetry. Now I know that I'm not to interpret this literally. If I pick up a biography about Benjamin Franklin, his autobiography of Benjamin Franklin, and I begin to read it, I can tell by the context whether this is literal or whether this is uh, you know what what exactly this is, what kind of literature, and in that case the type of literature would be autobiography and it will have narrative in it, and those kind of things. In, in particular parts of Benjamin Franklin's autobiography, he might include poetry and we would recognize that. So you just have to actually do some reading and, and some analysis and, and it's usually not too difficult. When it comes to scripture, um, there, is, there is both. There is literal stuff like narrative that's telling you what happened historically, and then there is metaphor. Uh, so when it talks about God stretched out his hand against some particular army, okay, that's that's an, anthro, uh, that's an anthropomorphic way of talking about God. and to that extent, it's metaphorical. When, when we, uh, there's also language in there, like uh, if we talk about today, the sun rising, we don't we understand uh, in the 21st century Western context in which we live, if, if regardless of whoever else ever thought it, we understand that the sun rising in the morning when we say, oh, is it sunrise? I want to get up in time to see the sunrise. We don't mean that um, the, the, the sun is literally rising and orbiting the earth or something like that. It's just an expression. And you have stuff like that in scripture. So you have to examine it and, and look at it for what it is. Now, he says this thing about um, the... Uh, Uh, how much of your faith is bound up in the literature. Well, here's the thing. I've said this many times. If God exists and God raised Jesus from the dead, Christianity is true, period. But I do believe we have what's called special revelation. The the collection of books that tells me about God's existence in the way that seems to be most reliable to the nature of reality and uh, is more defensible than any other religion that we have and the book the same collection of books that also tells me about the resurrection of Jesus and presents a case uh, that we can present a historical case that today is still pretty compelling is this collection of books that we now call the Bible, the Old and the New Testament. So uh, when I start to look at these historical claims, I look at the geographical places, I look at the, the the names of actual figures that existed in real time in history. And I've heard the thing from atheists before, just because New York City exists doesn't prove that Spider-Man exists, right? I get all of that. But remember, I began this little rant by discussing the fact that we have good reason to believe that God exists and that Um, the resurrection is true, and that we can investigate those things philosophically with some scientific inferences historically with the resurrection of Jesus. And so we have good reason to believe that these two biggest claims of the Bible are actually true. When we look at some of these other more mundane claims, they seem to be true too. And so we just go about it like that. It's really not that complex. It's really not that difficult. And as we grow and as we progress, we may learn to study genre in a a more robust and a more technical way. But I've been doing this for a long time, and I've been trying to take it very seriously. And I haven't become anything like what we could call a progressive christian on these things um so you know I- I don't know, I just take a look, uh, understand good hermeneutics, good proper exegesis, uh, keep in mind that, that we have these benefits of good historiography and philosophical inquiry, and when you do that, uh, you, you'll figure out which things are literal and which things are metaphor, and you don't have to bind up myth and metaphor as the same thing. I could go off on a whole other discussion about how myth doesn't necessarily mean fiction, but we won't spend time on that. Instead, we'll just go on to the next uh, person.
4: You love science. If your flirtation with science extends beyond the occasional TED talk to a truly curious mindset, your inquisitive pilgrimage will invariably lead you on a quest for answers. At some point in this journey, you'll begin to realize that the universe is knowable. Not in a new-age anthropomorphic personified way, but knowable in the sense that we can and are uncovering how it works. And science is the method for how we investigate its inner workings. Like reverse engineering a foreign contraption, science asks how and then sets about to find out. In neuroscience, you realize that seizures, sleep paralysis, and schizophrenia have chemical causes and aren't demon possession. Studying biology, genetics, and biochemistry, you'll learn how we know that all animals are related and that we're animals, that life is nothing more than chemistry, and that it can arise from non-life naturally. Anthropology, dendrochronology, and geology will show you how we know that the Earth is far older than most ancient religions could even fathom. Cracking into physics, you'll discover how particles pop into and out of existence ex nihilo from nothing and observe how even entire stars and planets can form entirely on their own. The more you fill in your gaps of understanding, the less room is left for magical supernatural forces. And as more and more of your supernatural beliefs fade into your cognitive graveyard of scientifically illiterate misconceptions, you'll realize how many times you've been wrong with the assertion, we don't know, therefore, God, as your placeholder for ignorance. And you become comfortable with, we may not know yet, but perhaps we can find out together. Number four. Uh, Literally, I've never heard
0: anyone say, we don't know, therefore, God maybe there's someone who said that but the only people i ever hear saying that are atheist youtubers who are trying to characterize Christian people in a particular way. And certainly the people that you YouTube atheists are used to dealing with on YouTube, other YouTube apologists and the people that flood your comment sections, these are people who are not going to say, we don't know, therefore God. They're going to give you reasons. They're going to give you arguments. They're going to give you things like that. Some of them might be bad arguments, but they're going to give you reasons. They're not going to say, we don't know, therefore God. Let's think about some of the things that Holy Kool-Aid just mentioned. He mentioned um, uh, that the earth is much older. The universe is much older than some ancient religions thought. Okay, I'm an old earth creation i have absolutely no problem with that don't know how that affects my christianity or my interpretation of scripture frankly at all and and, and by the way that's not me modifying my position to suit science that has been the positions of certain people uh, almost throughout all of christian history so um that goes nowhere as for the um the evolution stuff and, and the sharing common ancestor uh, as far as that goes I, i'm not uh, i i lack a belief in evolution nevertheless um, there are plenty of Christians who affirm evolution. If you had evolution, if I found out tomorrow that evolution is absolutely undeniably true in every way, and I don't even care to hear people talk about this in the comments section because I'm not fixated obsessively on this issue of evolution. If you were to convince me, it wouldn't mean I wasn't a Christian anymore. It wouldn't mean I didn't trust the Bible anymore. It would change nothing about the truth of Christianity. It goes nowhere. It is a waste of time. It's why it is the case that whenever I uh, am asked to respond to Uh, Half of the of the atheist YouTube channels I'm asked to respond to, I've got nothing to say because it's all about evolution. And I'm much more interested in evangelism, reaching other people for the Lord Jesus Christ. And in order to do that, the thing that matters most is not this second, frankly, important, but secondary issue of evolution. I'm interested in does God exist? Did God raise Jesus from the dead? Do we have good reason to believe that much of what the Bible the Bible is authoritative? I'll put it that way. So uh, when it comes to uh, particles popping into existence uncaused out of nothing, this is completely false. Um, he says we actually have more time to investigate or whatever, then, then good. We can investigate this claim that is simply false, that that particles pop into existence uncaused out of nothing. Um, when we talk about things like quantum superposition, we're not talking about particles popping into existence uncaused out of nothing. Okay, there is a causal agent there. There is a causal, first of all, we, we don't, there are multiple um, different Explanations for what's going on with quantum physics. Um, one of those is a very Newtonian classical understanding of physics. Uh, one of those, uh, several of the other ones, even affirmed by many of your atheist physicists, are actually still deterministic. And secondly, no matter what you want to say about this, there is still the causal agent of the presence of space and time that's there to begin with. So this whole business about popping into existence caused uncaused out of nothing is a much more controversial claim. And, and whenever we talk about nothing, of course, uh, if we pay attention to people like Lawrence Krauss, who uh, used to be praised before certain things happened uh, by atheists, used to praise him for this. His explanation of nothing is that nothing can do all kinds of things. Nothing is this roiling sea of positive and negative fluctuating energy. This doesn't sound like nothing to me. So uh, we could read and study more on this. Yeah, I think so. I think one place to start would be the quantum enigma, and then you could read more out from there. But always um, Oxford uh, University Press is a good way to start your investigation into certain areas and perhaps you'll understand more. But there was literally nothing there, nothing there that caused me a problem for my faith, even if I gave you everything you wanted. I mean, the reality of it is what you're saying is that science is really good at telling you things about the natural universe, High five, man. I agree. Science is really good at telling you things about the physical universe. What it cannot tell you is whether or not the supernatural exists necessarily. I do think we actually have some scientific inferences. We have design arguments and things like that where science is important um, and it can give you indirect evidence about the supernatural. But it's never going to be able to confirm the supernatural in a test tube or something like that. Why? Because it's the wrong instrument for that. Think about it, man. Just think about this. It's like saying I've got a metal detector here and I'll just go ahead and blow the analogy this metal detector represents the natural sciences. And this metal detector is really good at detecting metal and the metal represents the physical universe. And it seems like every time I come across metal, this metal detector is so good that it chirps and it lets me know that there's metal there. In fact, it's so good at testing metal that I'm just going uh, to I have no reason to believe that wood and 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 uh, water and and sand actually exist. Well, this would be completely fallacious, right? What you would need is another detector for those things. And while science may or may not be appropriate, uh, it's certainly not directly appropriate. It might give you some indirect stuff that only counts in our favor, but you need another detector. That would be f- philosophy, history, and, and and several other things, personal experience, things like that that we can use to investigate the world around us and get beyond. It's why it is the case that whenever somebody talks to me about cosmology and says, well, you need a, a, a physicist, an astrophysicist, weigh in on this yes that could be helpful and thank god we have some astrophysicists like hugh ross that are on our side nevertheless they are ill-equipped to answer the philosophical questions that go beyond the natural universe Um, this uh, physical universe that we have science is great for studying it but we can actually go further and look at other aspects of reality that science just doesn't get to in the same way. So um, if you open yourself up to science, are you closer to becoming an atheist? Well, let's put it this way, you shouldn't be. You should be closer to understanding more about the physical universe. And to that I say, fantastic. But don't close close yourself off in this weird scientism to other aspects of data collection to figure out about the world in which you live. You want to prove religion true and use science
3: to do it. You're on a journey to prove your religious belief true with empirical evidence.
0: Like Luke in the Cave on Dagobah, such a path has only what you take with you. Bring any presuppositions, nostalgia, traditions, or a desired outcome, and you bypass intellectual honesty for a home in self-delusion. Remember, on this journey, your holy book is not your guide, not your map. You're trying to recreate the puzzle that is your faith without using the picture on the box. Start with corner pieces. Who wrote your holy book? And when? What does it really say? Can you arrive at these conclusions using only evidence, not faith? Next fit in the pieces of science, history, philosophy, ethics. Wherever the journey of evidence takes you, that's where your home is. Even if your faith, couldn't come along. Number six. Uh, absolutely fantastic. Use um, philosophy, history, all these things that we just mentioned. So again, high five. I'm with you. That I don't. It's a, it's a presumption and a presupposition to say that that's going to necessarily lead you to atheism, um, I, or that you're closer to becoming an atheist because of these things. Um, that's just rhetoric. You understand this whole this whole video is built around rhetoric. Much of this advice is advice that would go for the atheist too. and if the atheist would would listen, then perhaps they'd be closer to Christianity, as I said before. Uh, but it's it's just important to, to to think about what we're saying here. Can you investigate the Bible the way that he says? Who wrote it? When did they write it? What were their goals? Can you understand it? Yeah, well, this, this is what we do. And Paul Ogia knows this. there is this robust uh, field of biblical studies and and uh, biblical inquiry and New Testament studies and Old Testament studies. We got scholars and we got archaeologists and we got people all over this thing and uh, looking at this. And and unfortunately for the atheists, many times. The atheist or agnostic New Testament scholars don't even agree with the online atheists. For example, many of the YouTube atheists and online atheists, I don't know that Paul Logie is in this camp, are what we would call Jesus mythicists. They don't believe that Jesus ever existed, or uh, they lack the belief that Jesus ever existed. Well, Bart Ehrman is one of the most well-known unbelieving New Testament scholars, and yet he doesn't buy that. He, he thinks that Jesus does exist and has had debates with atheists on that issue. So, um, so yeah, we have this whole field of study on this. And thank you for opening the door to philosophy and historiography and all those kinds of things, as well as science. So can you use the wrong tools in the wrong setting? Yeah, you can. But let's go back to that original issue of can you use science to go about trying to find out whether your faith is correct or not or whether the true Christianity is true? As I said before, it's it's never going to allow you to put the supernatural in a test tube. But in fact, you can find indirect reason to believe that such a thing does exist. For example, design arguments. Now, we encourage people to look at those design arguments. Just recently, I was asking someone to send me, maybe I was asking in a Facebook group, send me your best uh, the best videos you're aware of that present the ideas behind design arguments. You know, examples of really... Uh, finely tuned complexity in the universe, uh, things that crunch the numbers and give us that sort of thing. Because it's interesting that a lot of atheist people, uh, some of the atheist spokespersons, in fact, have said that if they were to give any of the theistic arguments any credibility, it would be, uh, the design arguments, because they do have a wow factor that is there. And and I'd like to have those things on hand. I've studied them all, but I'd like to have them all in one place in a video. So maybe I'll have to make something like that in the future. I do have a video on design arguments in my short videos playlist, so you can go check that out. But the bottom line is we can actually get indirect evidence for the truth of Christianity, but there are these other tools that we can go about. And yes, we can take a look at the the Bible, and and I think people should do that. In fact, I work at a Bible college and seminary, and we teach classes that show you how to do that. So um, again, I don't see where uh, I think Paulogy is right that we should consider things this way. I don't know that that leads anywhere near atheism.
1: You know your faith foundation is only good enough for you. You acknowledge that your God belief is only based on personal experience. I grew up as religious as they come. I believed it with all of my heart and it was the core thing about me. It was the center of my personality. And at a certain point between being totally religious and atheist, I realized that the reasons why I believed those things that I felt were what atheists often refer to as anecdotal evidence. These were personal experiences that I had identified as religious experiences because of influence of other people's stories. I I took what I had heard of people in similar circumstances and assumed that the conclusion they came to for their experience was the same I came to. Growing up religious, I thought I felt the Holy Ghost. And that was certainly the thing that stuck out the most to me, that I had had witness born to me. And then the day came when I couldn't explain a lot of the things that I admitted were inconsistent and seemed strange about a world with a loving God, but I just knew it was the case and this was one of my steps toward losing my religion. Losing my religion when I finally realized my reasons for believing weren't good enough for anybody besides me. And finally the day came where I had to acknowledge that the reasons why I believed were really only good reasons for me, or at least I thought so at the time.
0: Number seven. Okay. Um, we So he discusses there one way of experiencing the world and, and getting data collection about um, whether or not Christianity is true, whether or not God exists, whether or not the supernatural is real. And that is personal experience. Sure. Fine. Uh, that is one way. And that is anecdotal. You're absolutely right. In fact, um, most of your Christian apologists will say, yes, I believe I've had personal experiences with God that it would be very difficult to convince me were not true, that weren't, weren't really ev- examples of evidences or, or situations where I've encountered God or experienced God in some way. Um, but that only counts for me. I'm not going to present that to you as though it should be convincing to you. Now, you could actually build an argument from religious experience, as some people have done. And you could say, look, um, if let's say you came to a village and ninety nine people in that village claimed to have had experiences with a particular man, we'll call him Person Q. Um, But Person S says I've never one individual out of out of all these people says I've never uh, met Person Q. I've never seen Person Q. These people all claim that they've had experiences with Person Q, but I haven't had these experiences who should we believe? Should we believe the 99 that uh, claim to have had meaningful experiences with person Q and act like it's an obvious thing that person Q exists? Or should we believe the weirdo person S who says, I've never personally experienced that? Um, I mean, you can believe him. Perhaps he's never experienced person Q, but but which should carry more weight? Now, um, you know, it's not a clinching slam dunk. Personal experience arguments usually aren't. And that's why I don't try to use them that much. But I think if you're building a cumulative case model, it is interesting that the vast majority of the history of the world has experienced supernatural phenomenon and has claimed to believe that some sort of a god has in some way manifested to them in some manner. Um, and it's only like 2% of the history of the world, many of them alive today, who have been atheists. Um, that's I'm not arguing ad populum. I'm saying that's a lot of testimonial evidence. Now you say, yeah, but those people weren't all Christians. Uh, Rightly so. But of course, Christianity um, accounts for supernatural experiences that are real but aren't of God in other religions, right? Um, When people point to Muhammad, I don't deny that Muhammad had a supernatural experience. I question the content of that supernatural experience. When people point to Joseph Smith and say, do you really believe that he had a supernatural experience? Actually, I think he was just a liar. But if I don't think that that he was a liar, and certainly when I hear from Mormons today who talk about this burning in the bosom that they experienced that testifies to the truth of Mormonism, I don't think that they're lying. Some of them might be. Some of them might be self-deceived, but the truth is they may be having a supernatural experience supernatural experience. The question is, what is the content of that supernatural experience? And so, um, yeah, there are a lot of people who've had these Religious experiences. Perhaps yours was real and you've now convinced yourself against it because we are good as people at lying to ourselves. But I'm not saying that you were lying to yourself. I don't know you. I don't know your personal encounter and and how true it was. Only perhaps you know that and and even you might not know that because unfortunately, sometimes uh, we're not that great at evaluating even our own psychological states. What we can do is look at the evidence. And that's why we don't just go on anecdotal personal experience evidence, we look at the evidence that's external to us and try to find, is there good reason to believe that Christianity is true? And then when we find that it is, and it makes certain claims about what we might expect to experience as individual Christians, if we experience something that seems to be a manifestation of the supernatural in our lives, then we have no reason to doubt it. But again, we don't offer that to others as proof that what we're saying is true. That's to get the whole thing backwards. Um, so, you know, the uh, that's what I would have to say to that. Now, um, it, there's also no guarantee that any particular Christian is going to get these warm and fuzzies, um, that, that people talk about. So, you know, um, there's some thoughts about that, but this seems to be aimed at a type of person who, uh, th- this, this sort of suggestion seems to be aimed at the type of person who maybe has gone on to YouTube for the first time looking for worldview uh, type information about the truth of Christianity and came across this video because anybody who's been looking at YouTube videos in this arena for a while now should know that we offer uh, a lot more evidence than just personal anecdotal evidence. So hopefully that will be helpful. Let's continue
1: with debating atheists. You spend a little
5: too much time debating atheists. Once trivial and routine things such as scrolling through your social media newsfeed have now become an obsessive hunt for someone or something that you disagree with. People who are confident in their belief or who have no doubt in their faith don't pay any attention to anything atheists have to say. These conversations trigger you. Now why is that? Well, if we're 100% honest with each other, it's because you have doubts too. And that's okay. Our brains are hardwired to be curious, to ask questions, and to seek the answers to those questions. Religion tries to extinguish those sparks, instead dampening it with verses from ancient books telling you to trust and obey and that faith is all that you need. When you confront us, you're really confronting yourself. When you demand that we give you evidence that there is no God, you're really just grasping at evidence for your own. When you try to convince us to believe, you're really just trying to convince yourself. Hearing us talk about being skeptical, asking questions, pointing out contradictions, that's like pouring gas on that mind. We engage you Because we see those sparks, curiosity, and doubt. We are not your enemy. Instead, think of us like a flint. We engage your arguments, waiting, hoping for that one strike that sends a spark into that curiosity and doubt. Igniting the flames that burn away that barricade that religion has put up. Freeing you to finally seek the answers to the questions that you have
0: and not some ancient book.
1: Thank you for watching and
0: especially- Okay, so it looks like that's the end. Um, wow. Um, this, uh, this could be, hopefully nothing I've said in this video so far has been offensive. Again, on my channel, I try to go overboard in being charitable and I do uh, love and appreciate all the people that are in this list. And, and, um, some of them I have, um, well, let's see some of them, at least Shannon Q I've had, and Paul Ogier, I've had conversations with, and I, you know, I, I, am cool with them, but here's the thing. Um, this may be an example of what we call projection because what he has just painted up is this idea of the type of person who goes on to the internet to argue with other people and is obsessed with debating other people and gets really triggered when, when other people say things that they don't disagree with. And then he says those people are ath- uh, Christians. <laughs> Christians. Are there Christians like that? Yeah. But are you kidding me? You look at any Christian YouTuber's comment section and you will find thousands of comments from people exactly like that. Who are atheists who are on there they're triggered they can't stand that someone is saying the things that the christian is saying and they've got to fill the comment stream with all kinds of snarky and uh you know turns of phrase and rhetoric and hitchens-esque sort of responses you have got to be kidding me surely you understand this is projection uh you know now uh, why do people like me and others uh, come on to YouTube to, to try and make videos and respond like this? The reason we do that is not because we're experiencing doubts that are crippling our faith or that we're on the verge of becoming atheists. The reason we do it is because we do realize that people go to YouTube to look for answers. And so we want to fill YouTube with Christian answers because we don't want just them to hear uh, atheist responses. We want them to hear this side of it too. So yeah, of course, we're going to come on here and do that. That's what most of us are trying to do. I'm aware of most of the uh, YouTube apologist channels that have you know more than a thousand subscribers, and they're mostly trying to do this because they care about other people. They're very firm in their own faith, um, so I, I I don't know. He says you know uh, the type of people that that are firm in their faith they don't they don't go on and respond and, and deal with these. They don't care what atheist YouTubers have to say. Could we say that the other way around? Could we say that atheist YouTubers who really believe what they're saying? Um, wouldn't be bothered to go and, and comment on our videos. And the only reason they're doing that is because they have to go there to try and, and, and they're triggered and they want to shut down the conversation and they want to try to lash out because it's causing them to doubt their atheism. Could we, could we say something like that? No, you'd say that you're there. Why? Well, because it's a hobby, because it interests you, because uh, perhaps you want to help the world by um, impacting it with information that might help when it comes to um, getting the right people in office and things like that. The religion seems right. You've got reasons that go beyond. I'm just really um, insecure. And so I have to lash out. Right. Yeah. We feel that way, too. And this is the kind of response that goes both ways. In fact, Seems to be a theme here with this video, doesn't it? That a lot of these responses really seem to go both ways. Um, Some of the information was just simply false. But I hope that this is helpful, and maybe if you take this advice, or maybe maybe the people listening here who would take some of this advice would we'll be closer to becoming Christians, and we would certainly love that. Again, love all the people in this list. Um, I, I pray for everyone that I make a response video to, so I'm praying for each of you. I know that that may sound condescending, or you prefer me not, or you don't think it matters, or whatever, but um, then just take this as an expression that I care about you, and anything that I'm saying that seems direct um, is directed at the ideas. Um, the content, those kind of things, not at you as an individual. I think that all these people are smart people, bright people, uh, friendly people, and hey, uh, that's great. But uh, I think if, it, does this mean you're closer to becoming an atheist in most cases? No. Um, I want to go back to one thing from the beginning, and that is the notion that um, that Eric Murphy raised, that if you bottle up your doubts, you might be closer to becoming an atheist. Yes. I think that could be the case, at least that you're you, that you're more likely to uh, leave the church if that's the experience that you have. So don't do that. Don't um, bottle up your doubts. Explore your doubts, but explore them with people who have the answers. Explore them with people who are going to give you the best in Christian responses so that you can really be prepared. Rather than bottling them up and then go and finding some um unqualified source to to give you reasons to reject your faith once you may have developed some bias. And again, that's not a condescension. We all can have those moments of weakness where we are more likely to be biased. We need to all try to limit our biases. I hope that this video has been helpful to you. Perhaps you're a person who does appreciate these videos um, and you'd like to support what we're doing then you can get a lot of interesting stuff. We've got 28 full-blown seminary-level lectures on apologetics, major world religions, problem of evil, contemporary apologetics, and the philosophy of religion, with PowerPoints for our patrons. That's for people who give to us on a monthly basis. And you can get that for any amount of money, really. Any money you want to give, we we appreciate that. You also get um, a video that explains how I uh, do my YouTube channel. It may not look the best right now because of the quarantine if you're seeing this years later this is the COVID-19 quarantine days way back then that your grandparents told you about and um and and so uh it may not look the best right now and so that's that's uh but but i've got a video explaining how i do all that what software i use how i make my thumbnails all those kind of things uh, how i make my set so uh, you, you might enjoy that and um, how I read more than most people do in a week's time um, and, and how you can do that. It's really easy once you learn a couple of tricks, all kinds of stuff, free episodes that we've never released anywhere. So go, uh, uh, you know, if, if you're the kind of person that would that would buy us a cup of coffee, if you were with us once a month, if you lived in our town, then hey, five bucks or something like that, we would really, really appreciate it. We don't expect it and we'll keep making this free content because we love the Lord and we the impactable with the gospel. But if you do believe in what we're doing, then then we would really appreciate that. Also, if you'd like to learn formally, you can visit us at trinitysim.edu and begin your theological education today. Perhaps you'd like to get a degree in apologetics and um, and, and do this as an apologist. We need more people like you. So uh, with that, thank you for being here, and I'll see you next time on Trinity Radio.